Jello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Um, this is our first presentation of a new group of podcasts we're going to be doing that is on uh, the history of Marvel comics. And so we're just going to kind of jump in at the very first of Marvel comics and then present them chronologically. Each week that we present a new episode of this, we'll cover a new month of Marvel comics. And I was going to start with Fantastic Four, which is where everybody usually thinks Marvel Comics starts. But essentially, their first superhero comic was the introduction of Groot, the character Groot, who you know probably from being on Guardians of the Galaxy. And uh, originally, he was this was just a little one-shot monster presentation story. And uh, Stanley wrote a bunch of these, and his team wrote a ton of monsters. They had monsters every month for, it was their big thing until they came up with, uh, decided to go with Fantastic Four and we'll get more into that in Fantastic Four. But it's funny because Fantastic Four also features a giant monster, which I think they just went ahead and did probably because their monster books would do well for them. So uh, as we go through this, um, I'm going to be going through it with my son, Hunter. Uh, who's joining us. And Hunter, how old are you now? 21. 21. He's 21. And we're going through it with his girlfriend, Alicia, who might be here and might not be here. I think she's disappeared for the moment. I'm oh, here. She's I'm she's here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's cooking food at the same time. So <laughs> she'll be in and out. But Alicia is, uh, what are you now, 20? Yes. Yes. So I'll be talking with them. I just had my birthday and I'm 57. So uh, we also have some other folks who'll be joining us in future episodes that are going to represent uh, a wide, broad variety of age ranges. And I thought that would be interesting to get everybody's thoughts on this. So I guess we'll start off with Groot. Um, Alicia, what did you think of the Groot story? Um, and uh, he's very much, you can tell by the cover right here, he says, "Behold, I am Groot, the invincible, who dares to defy me." Yeah, you'll uh, you'll pretty instantly notice a few key differences between yes, he's, this he's more and verbose his than later his representation. Later, yeah, he, he still has the he's I also am Groot in there, which is that's good, true. But it's surrounded by other words, so he can definitely somehow he lost his ability to. And now you may not have noticed this. He yes. also is uh, holding a car in his foot, meaning he's also slightly taller than Groot from Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. Yes, he's he in the comic at some point they mentioned that he's 50 feet tall. I would think in this picture he's far more than 50 feet considering that comparing it to the people around him too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think he's more like 75 or 100 feet tall in the picture. And that's a wonderful cat you have there, Alicia. I'm surprised just letting you pick it. It's a her, right? Yes. Pick yes, her up. <laughs> Anyway, Alicia, what did, what did you think of this story or what things did you notice from the story that were interesting? Of, of um, A lot of the times when I'm reading the comics like this, I notice kind of like the littler um, like cultural things. So after I finished the first thing that I said to Hunter was like, wow, like this wife is terrible. Yes. <laughs> um, I was like, noticing the same thing berating his masculinity like the entire time and it's played as way more of like a 
oh, he's finally like like masculine at the end. And it's just kind of like, really, it's really strange the way that it's played as like, oh, he finally did something that, you know, uh, ended up being traditionally masculine, which is defeating, you know, the monster with termites, but he doesn't even do it in, <laughs> I get, <laughs> he doesn't even do it in a, uh, you know, classic superhero way. Yeah, he doesn't like go grab an axe and chop up Groot or something. Which I think is good in that mm -hmm. the storyline is about him um, needing to be more masculine, needing to be more like other guys. And then at the end, it is essentially saying it was, it's okay. I mean, he, he found another way to be masculine or another way to uh, fix the problem. And they talked about how it's because he's a scientist and you guys aren't scientists and he was able to figure this out. So boosting scientists, I thought it had had interesting sort of ramifications on today and that scientists are seen uh, not in the best light by a lot of people these days. And I think that this presents the scientist as being a smart guy who goes through and figures out how to solve this problem but he has to deal with the fact that his society doesn't respect him very much and his girlfriend doesn't respect him very much either throughout the course of this, but he still perseveres and figures out a solution to the problem. But so I, I found that to be kind of redeeming in the story and surprising in a, whatever it was, eight page story or something to, I didn't think it'd have that through cultural through line in it. And that, that was the most interesting part to me and far more interesting than Groot was actually. Yeah, definitely interesting seeing the um, that one particular line that you were talking about where it's like, that's because he's a scientist and you're just a sheriff. Yeah. Which is, mm -hmm. you know, in particular, like the scientists and uh, policemen are both like interestingly polarized figures in mm -hmm. uh, modern discourse. So seeing that just kind of be thrown in as like, haha, like <laughs> smart guy figured something out that you couldn't. And not being like you know a strong political statement was was interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, if this if if this story was presented today as a new story, and they kept the script the exact same way, but just said, "Hey, somebody just wrote this," I would go, "Oh, this is a a commentary on current politics and current," because uh, it just seemed like it was almost too on the nose putting scientists against the sheriff sort of mm -hmm. thing the cops immediate solution is just to shoot at the thing right right yeah. yeah um well and when we have certain sheriffs that have come out as being really right wing and so forth and, and all of that lately uh i just think where did the sheriffs get all those torches from yes. from their clan rally yeah maybe. anyway hunter what, what do you think of the of this um so speaking of the ending of this of the story with using the termites instead of fighting it, yeah. I was thinking it'd be really great if the MCU would look at that as an example of having a different ending to it. Yeah. Because I started thinking about what MCU projects have had an ending that wasn't just the two of them duking it out. Right. I think Doctor Strange is the only one. Or Probably. movies? Yeah. 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 Yeah, and uh, 
Yeah, and I think the movies could definitely gain and in I, that area. I like feel that. like it's definitely a thing that you see we're going to keep on seeing in comics is often, I wouldn't say often, more frequently than you see in other forms of media where the solution ends up not just being a brawl. Yeah. And we'll it's see, I can't remember if Stan Lee... You're right. In lots of comics, they don't have that happen. With with, I'm not sure if Stanley, because who he's going to be the person we're focusing on most of the time. Well, well we're off to a good start. Yeah. We're off to a good start here. We're off to a good start, except for the fact that he didn't write this one. Well, it's written by his brother, so it's a Lee, so it's it's yeah. halfway there. Close enough, you know. Well, and he was the editor, I believe at the time so i mean he probably had input into the story and things um anyway i thought it was a interesting story to start with and uh i i think i don't know if the writer originally the the writer that created guardians of the galaxy and decided to use the character groot that had been developed this time was really thinking about this but man he really made a name for himself in that he he like all of a sudden changed what the first superhero comic was for Marvel, and it became this Tales to Astonish number 13 that featured Groot. Um, because Groot was just a one off character, and then he was used. Well, I don't know. I, I feel like you could make an argument that you still shouldn't call this their first superhero comic, yeah, because it was not meant to. Like, you're not going to go look at Norse mythology and go, that was the first superhero comic because it has Thor in it, right? Right. No, but I, I guess I guess the, the other reason that, that gives it a little more power with that is, as we'll see, uh, I think it's next week when we have um, Ant-Man's first appearance, it was written as a superhero thing either. And he's definitely has the same name. He definitely is the same character. And they definitely think of it as his first appearance. Um, and it's very similar in lots of ways to this Groot appearance. So we'll have to compare those two when we get to when we get to that uh issue but yeah i can definitely see arguments both ways but um he is currently part of their superhero team in guardians of the galaxy and he was this is where he started out so can i say one more thing before we move on of course i think so you know i'm always on the the cultural through lines and yes. if your viewers get tired of it, they're going to have to start skipping past my, my, my speeches. We'll but start flashing a disclaimer. Alicia is talking. Alicia is talking about politics again. Um, I just think that it's so interesting that they have the scientists come up with the, uh, the termites as the, as the end, considering that, like, I mean, they do make it a thing where it's like, oh, he basically like bioengineered these, but they don't say it like that. They say that he bred them, right. which is very much like I could absolutely see it being a plot, a, 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 a like slightly different plot where, you know, the everyman is the one who comes up with the termites and right. just, you know, finding some termites and bringing them to, um, to Groot, whereas the scientists are the ones scrambling because their special root rot or like their specific, um, you know, space weapons aren't working as group. Because I think that's what we've been seeing a lot more often recently is like the smart people are too smart. They don't know how to uh, zoom in. Like they're just looking at the big picture. They're just right. looking at their advanced knowledge. 
Um, so I just think that is interesting because you could absolutely see the plot going in the same direction, but with like different heroes and yes. with, the same, with the, uh, the same type of like, yeah, you're a scientist, but I'm a carpenter or something, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Something really, really simple like that, because I feel like we're seeing a lot more of that type of plot point than the, you know, go scientist type of plot points nowadays. Correct. Correct. Yeah, I, I don't think it would write, write it this way, probably, if it was today. Um, the other thing is, it's refreshing to me, always these to read these old comics um, that only had eight-page stories in them, because they were just... It, it was it's always interesting how are they going to cram a whole story with a beginning a middle and an end into eight pages and they do that fairly effectively in this story um and they both dc and at this point i don't think it's called marvel i think it was called timely but anyway all the major publishers were mostly having very few comics that would be the the character from beginning to end it would usually be a little story with that character and then maybe a little story with a different character or even if it was all superman like the superman comics at this point you'd read an eight page superman story i think they had an eight and a 12 and then another eight and sometimes they'd use those as chapters to be one big story but usually it'd be three separate stories and they that's just not done today i would love to see a modern comic where somebody actually did an eight page story and and seldom it's done i mean they well, do you might be happy to know that that's starting to make a bit of a comeback on the dc side uh, i don't know what specific comics but i know i think they have maybe three series at this point yeah. that are always having the last several pages being a side separate story about a different character mm -hmm. so that's starting you know maybe a bit of a nostalgia return for that making a comeback comeback. making a comeback because that was a big thing all the way up and pretty much until about the 80s, at least for, not in Marvel. Marvel would usually have one story per issue sort of thing. But over on DC's side, they would still have, you know, your action comics, your adventure comics, whatever they were, would have a Superman story that was 12, 15 pages, and then a little six or eight page Adam story or Green Arrow story or something like that in the, in the back part of the book. And I used to love those. Sometimes they'd have some of the best artists doing the stories in the back of the book and some of the best writers. So it just depended. Um, anyway, we're getting off enough on this. So let's get to the next issue, which is Fantastic Four. And I'm going to adjust my background and hopefully take us to the Fantastic Four, maybe. With any luck. So hopefully this changed for you guys. Did it change? Oh, good. Yeah. So this is the first issue of the Fantastic Four. Um, this is the cover of it. And I thought we'd talk about the cover for a little bit. Um, how this came to be, essentially, the story is anyway. Stan Lee was tired of having to do comics and write the same stories he'd been writing. He'd been in comics for a long time as a writer and was going to move on to do something else. And his wife said, well, before you leave, why don't you do one of the comics you've, you, you constantly for 10 years have been telling me about the comic you'd like to write. So why don't you write one the way you want to write it and then see what happens. And then if that doesn't catch on, then leave. But give it a try. And so he came up with the Fantastic Four 
And this was the issue that he wrote after that conversation. And it definitely caught on and sold enough that they kept on producing more. Now, having said this, you got to realize at the time, um, superheroes sort of after World War II had kind of died out and most of the superhero comics stopped being published. There was still uh, Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman were being published, but pretty much everything else was horror stuff or teen stuff like Archie comics, that sort of thing. And then in 1956, uh, well, in 1955, they uh, put on the comics code and made it really difficult to write horror stories anymore or war stories anymore. So those comics kind of, they couldn't make them anymore and, and get their approved by the comics code. So that had to do with Senate hearings that went on and everything. Anyway, so DC said, well, let's go back to superheroes again. So that's where we get the Silver Age. Within 56, we have um, The Flash coming out mm -hmm. uh, as a new comic and The Atom reappearing quickly thereafter. And then uh, they go with Justice League that combines the heroes. And we'll get into that a little bit as we move forward. So this wasn't as innovative as you might think. It was sort of more or less kind of saying, well... Heroes are doing okay over on DC stuff. Why don't we start doing some heroes? And they just thought, let's do them a little differently. And so we'll get into how they do them differently as we go. But this cover uh, sort of, I love it because it, it ties in so many things and tells us so much about the comic and so much about what was going on in comics at the time. Like I mentioned, most of the comics at the time were, uh, at least that Marvel was putting out, were these monster comics with giant monsters that would show up. So this continues that giant monster theme on the cover of this to kind of tie it into, so they weren't going completely in left field. They were sort of like, oh, look, this is still a giant monster one. Yeah, you could replace this dude with uh, Groot and it would be the same cover. Exactly, exactly. So, so they're kind of going with what their meat and potatoes has been, but they're introducing a new element to it in the fantasticness of the other characters. Um, on this cover too, I love the fact that all the characters, you, you get the concept of who the characters are. I mean, it says big in the letters there, featuring the thing, Mr. Fantastic, Human Torch, Invisible Girl, right? Together for the first time. So you, you know this is a first issue. You've got... The fact that you get to see what all their powers are. You can see the torch is in the middle of flying and he's got his thing, he's got his uh, power on. You can see that Invisible Girl is turning halfway invisible. So you can get the idea, okay, she turns invisible. The thing you probably get the less, the least amount of information on, other than he looks like a big blobby guy. Well, he also is very strong. He's crushing the car with one hand. Right. So you can see him crushing a car, right? And then you can see that Mr. Fantastic has is all stretched out, so you can see what his power is. I'm not going to lie. One says the other one's, like, name in the title, so you can see who's who. You also, they even give you the information of, um, just wait and see, sister, says the torch. So you, get, you know that they're sister and brother. That's communicated in the cover. I don't know how you communicate more things on such a simple cover as this, than they do. They really communicate a lot of information. Well, you also merely get a feeling for the thing's personality in there. Yes. 
so where he's you know sort of like ugh, i gotta do this fine right y'all can't handle this yeah you get a like, little taste of the, of the bickering that's going to come mm-hmm, on and it's mm-hmm. going to be the big part of what the fantastic four is because we haven't seen that in comics before um alicia did you have anything that uh, struck you on the cover or anything or Oh, you see Susan being a damsel in distress. <laughs> okay. Which is, you know, a little bit unfortunate, but... <laughs> yes, I agreed. Uh, no, I agree I, that everyone's got their own little... Uh, their own little per- quirk of personality in their dialogue. Uh, it's not as flat as I feel like the Groot comic was, where everyone's just extremely verbose and, like, very much like, I will defeat you, villain. No, you will not defeat me, hero. Or this <laughs> one, everyone's got a little bit uh, more personality to him. Agreed. Agreed. They really did give Susan the... She's the only one that doesn't really have a combat-related power. Correct. And she also was given the perfect power for being the damsel in distress. That being that she can hide really well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Now, they do eventually yeah. give her the force field power, which I don't know. Does she even have it in this first issue? No. There's nothing in this issue to imply that she can do force fields. Yeah. Now, um, which was smart to give her the force field power, and they probably were retconning and going, okay, well, let's look at this. Cause... Well, they're probably thinking if they're having a fight, what is she going to do? Right. Yeah. What is she bring to fight? Other I guess than... sneak up and punch him in the back. Yeah. She's got <laughs> sneaky power. That's it. Uh well, and, and unfortunately, you would hope they would learn the lesson and go, okay, so we're going to make her better over the years and things. But if you look at the movie that they created of this, they actually, I would recommend you don't do that. Yeah, they actually made her power even more sexist in a way. Because in this, you can see just from this cover, she obviously can make her clothing turn invisible as well. Yep. In the, we forgot about this part of the, the movie. movie. She always has to strip off her clothes as she tur- as she tr- as she turns into uh, at least at the beginning. She yeah. has to take off her that's clothes. That's a big part mm-hmm. of it. And then um, the fun they have with it is always when she turns back, putting her in ridiculous situations where all of a sudden she has to cover up and she's in the middle of a crowd and she's. It, it could be worse. She could be a high schooler, like one of the characters from My Hero Academia, which is a high schooler that is invisible but has to be naked the whole time. Yeah. She's also invisible the whole time. Though. That is true. She cannot turn visible again. You're right. Well, and I tend to think if you gave that, like the Invisible Man, for instance, the, the horror movie and things, uh, and it's been redone a million yeah, times. Yeah, main character from Hotel Transylvania, I'm aware. At least, at least in that case, it's a guy that has to deal with being invisible and being naked and things. And it's a whole different feel then. It's not a, yeah. a sexual thing as much as an embarrassing thing. When it's a woman and you're picking a very beautiful woman to do this, it's always going to have sexual connotations that you probably... And that's what I liked about this comic is it was very like, no, she's just a lady who turns invisible. Like there's, there's right. nothing like... Ooh, embarrassing or like ooh, like sexy about it. She's just yep. a lady who turns invisible. Yeah. And I thought so too. I thought this comic was less sexist than later portrayals would be of this. Though still we have the the damsel in distress thing going on. That's probably our main problem. 
But um, let's I'll tell you what, since let's be done with the cover and let's move on to the story. I was struck by the story. I really was impressed with a lot of it. It seemed like modern storytelling in certain ways. Certainly a lot of it wasn't. But the parts that struck me was just the layout of it. That It didn't start by saying, oh, here's the origin of these people from the get-go mm. and go in a linear fashion throughout. It did the, it did the starting in the middle of going, bet yes. you wonder how we got here. Freeze exactly. frame sort of technique. It, yeah. starts, it starts by putting them all in kind of normal situations that you can empathize with. And they all have situ things that go on of, of them having to deal with their power and deal with ordinary people and their reactions to their powers and things. We get to see that and it's a chance for us to get to know the characters. And then after that, um, they come to a logical point and they say, basically, well, here's how it started. And then they go, and then they tell us their origin. And after they're done with their origin, that goes right into basically almost feels like a whole new issue of a comic where they take on the mole man and that becomes the the ending part of this comic and so i thought structure wise it was a pretty impressive structure for the time um and seemed like something you would see you could basically take this structure and apply it to even even if they were going to do a Fantastic Four movie, I mean, you could just, effectively you're going to have to rewrite a lot of it, but but you could take the structure and use it to create the movie, and have the uh, origin as part of it without it taking over the whole thing. Though I think maybe they should just uh, at this point, since the Fantastic Four has been done twice in movies, I think people are probably tired of the origin, and maybe you just take off with the series and eventually. I feel like you might be able to do another origin movie for them. Yeah. Because, like, no one saw the rebooted one. Yeah. And that one also was a different origin, too. Right. Right. And so, I don't know. We'll we'll have to see what they're going to do. Oh, the other thing I thought I'd point out, too, really quick, is if you look at the top of the splash page, the fact that it says, here they are, and it says who the characters are, so you know the characters' names to start out with. I'm a little surprised it didn't say Susan Storm, Invisible Girl, Johnny Storm, Torch, and so forth. It just gives them the characters' names, but not the uh, superpowers or their superhero names. Um, speaking of names, I guess before we move on to the story a little bit more, um, what do you think about the, the names of the characters? Did you think... All right. Specifically about this. Yeah. There is a page, the page where they all name themselves. It's them yes. all putting their hands in the center, saying what their superhero names are. You know, we got Human Torch. All right. That's what your power is. Right. Invisible Girl. Okay. That's what your power is. The Thing. Okay. That's what you were called when you got your powers. Okay. Mr. Fantastic. Okay, bud. You just... He's... It's the most full of yourself thing you can do here. Correct. Everyone else is like, these are my powers. Ben's like, ugh, I'm a monster. I'm the thing. Like, He's like, I'm so fantastic. <laughs> it's like, well, your, it, your friend it, got transformed. Talking about. Um, it, did, it, did it change on your end? Can you see the new page? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we got them all putting their hands on top, on top of each other, right? And, uh, and as they do this... Um, like you said, it's it's exactly that. They're all, you can see this whole thing. It says, I'm calling myself Human Torch, and I'm with you all the way. Same for me, the Invisible Girl. There's only one 
still missing Ben. And then Ben says, I ain't Ben anymore. I'm what Susan called me the thing. And then you get, and I'll call myself Mr. Fantastic, which is... <laughs> then they go on to name their superhero team after Mr. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. I, I, that was hilarious. But uh, <laughs> he's, he's got main character syndrome pretty yeah. bad on him. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, but we'll get to more of that in the letters page because I love how people picked up on it. Even so, back. I love that. This, this was my thought when I was reading this book. And then we read the letters page. Someone else echoed my exact thought I, behind this. I was like, yes. Yes. I agreed. I'm I agreed. not alone. Someone from the early 60s agrees with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, what else did we um, want to cover of? Of the beginning, did you? It was there anything that stood out in the beginning part where they're uh, introduced to them? Once again, Marvel dislikes uh, likes to show cops in a negative light as they all attacked Ben immediately. Yes. Yeah, definitely interesting. Yeah, uh, it was also like you get um, like everyone else doing like like the thing like breaks through all these things is like crashing and like smashing through stuff to get where it needs to go like the human torch just like melts the car roof while flying out and then yeah. invisible girls just like invisibly knocking over people while she runs through a crowd yeah yes. why, why did she need to be invisible for this <laughs> besides I, showing off that she has a power it's yeah. just like it's just definitely like one of those things is like the invisible girl was the most like feminine power they could think of that would like allow her to still be a little bit dainty, you know, for the time. Like yeah. she's still, you know, heavily reliant on her, her superhero partners and, you know, her man. Um, like she really can't, like, like I said, it's kind of like the, uh, where they put in, they give, you know, in the MCU, they put in uh, Black Widow into the Avengers and you've got all these superhero people and all these high-tech people. And then you have Black Widow, who's just yeah. a good assassin. And it's like the same thing that they, they did. It, they do it with Hawkeye as well. So, you know, it's not completely just sexist, but it's the, they're trying to find, you know, the the most dainty way we can have this, this woman in here. Right, right. I think so too. And, uh, I, I I think it's strange how all of a sudden she turns her power on and she becomes like a linebacker knocking all these people down. Yeah. You could still essentially try and avoid hitting every person because it's not like they did anything to I, you. I don't know. If I could bump into people with no consequences. <laughs> He's just running around like, pushing she, people She's over. gone power mad. Yes, that's <laughs> what it looks like to me. Everybody else, they're using their powers to do something that they need to do at the time or whatever. She's, and she's like, nah, well, I'm going to push them. I'm going to push through all of them. I don't, I, I don't understand all of But that. if you notice, she only pushed over the men. That's not true. There's a woman there. Forget I said that. She pushed yeah. over mostly men. Mostly men. Mostly, mostly men. men. He's Retaliation. There's one, only two, one. three, four men and one woman. And another woman, she sort of just left alone, though the woman's like shrieking or something, I think. She's about ready, she's freaking also, out. Also, is this uh, the first black character we've seen in the background up here? Oh, that I, is. Yeah. Yeah. So, we got to figure out this man's name, the first black character in Marvel history. Yeah, I don't think he has a Man <laughs> sitting on the ground in the background. Man who was pushed over by Invisible Girl. <laughs> yes. Yes. He, was a, he apparently was the first one pushed over. 
and or or he was sitting on the ground to begin with. What an honor! <laughs> also, he's uh, essentially in the back of the bus here. That's as far back as you can put it on the yeah, scene no, yeah. off the off screen. So, well, and then my question too is: Is this the original comic, or is this a? Uh, I don't think this is. I think this this is definitely a redone. Not it's recolorized and so it'll be really interesting to see if the actual comic had that because the one i read i didn't read the one we're looking at the one saw my screen in the background i read a different one and i i don't know i'll have to go back and look and see was he a black character the whole time or was did somebody later on come in and say oh that's reason we can't do that guy let's have at least one in there <laughs> yes yes he can be so. in the back don't worry he doesn't have to be too big yeah <laughs> but we'll see but it wouldn't surprise me too i mean stan was definitely soon would head off in a direction that was um certainly featuring more black characters than we'd ever he seen was a progressive man he was yeah. he was he gave us the x-men yeah yeah and he okay. gave us and we'll get into this later we'll start sharing his soap boxes and things that he would do in later issues probably starting in 67 or 66 or something like that and shared a lot of things about treating people all equally and, and all the civil rights sort of uh, things and a little bit about the war and that sort of thing so anyway and some of the comics covered the war stuff too in a what a deeper way maybe a richer way than than had been done in the past maybe so yeah, we'll see. All right, uh, so uh, we get through this part where we get introduced to all the characters. We get the part about their origin, which we won't go through much other than just say... They, they flew up in space and got hit by cosmic rays. Yeah. And then, and Wait, that part the was question is, how do you steal a, a space capsule sort of th and all of a sudden launch? I think it takes a lot of people to I launch. I feel like it would be easy to steal if one of your team members is invisible. Yes, and if one of then the again, they weren't invisible at the time. Of the team who uh, like designed, designed or, or you know helped create in general, yeah. you know the ship or yeah. whatever. Which they did, so they did. So I'll accept that as well. I was thinking the same thing. I guess you could justify it that way. And then, uh, what do we think about the mole man coming on the scene and and that change at the end of the comic? I... Apparently, Alicia was bored with it because she's yawning. I'm not sure. Well, I mean, I'm just making the face that he made, actually. Yes, okay, you're copying the, the mole man that uh, you yawn. He was uh, that, that is not the mole man, though. And the, well, not the mole man, but the creature. It's that... the mole man's creature, yeah. I was very surprised. I mean, if you want to pull up a picture of the mole man, I was surprised at how not mole-like he was. Corner, but or how he, like, he's really mole-like. Um, I don't know. It was just it, interesting seeing that his his backstory is essentially like I am so ugly that no that like my, my life is ruined. He was the first incel. Yeah, which is an, a very interesting like. It's not even just that. Um, like there is a there is a subset of people. I guess it's like a subculture. I I suppose is that what you would call it, Hunter? Yeah. A subculture, you know, on the internet, mostly meeting on the internet, but who like wholeheartedly believe that it's mostly men um, and mostly 
like men who have not had <laughs> our cat is screaming at the door right now um mostly men who have not had like just a great time in life or specifically a great time in in their romantic endeavors so it was interesting like those people wholeheartedly believe um a lot of the times that like attractiveness determines your outcome in life and that ties into it ties into like a lot of eugenics type things where it's like if your genes are not good you literally cannot have a good life mm-hmm. uh, and so it was just interesting seeing this because it was like huh like there are people who like today would look at this and are like so true like <laughs> they look at this and they see it as like you know well on the page i've called up you can see right there the woman yeah. says what me go out with you don't make me laugh she's saying and then- but it's not even just yeah but and it's not even just like the the woman is like eh, you're gross i don't really want to date you and then you have employers turning away and then yes. he's getting bullied and like he just decides like i'm gonna go to where does he go well he goes to the center of the earth but it's essentially antarctica right like he right. goes to this you know far off place that no one else is going and you're just kind of like the pieces in my head they're there not really seeing why you put them together in that in that you know section he's just kind of like ah, everyone was mean to me so i'm gonna go to antarctica to like nebraska or something or like you know just moving to another town he's like i'm leaving society completely right. yes cat <laughs> it's, it's just a, an interesting thing to just dedicate yourself to and to and to see is like you know a, somewhat of a valid backstory you know right right and then uh and and then his backstory is as he falls he gets hit and as, essentially goes blind um and then learns to deal with that and somehow commands all the creatures under that he finds underground and and becomes really good at fighting while blind which is you just have to accept that as a leap of faith <laughs> it's like I mean, it's essentially he, the, the, daredevil, dare, yeah. the daredevil, daredevil powers construct. yeah but without the radioactive thing hitting his face so no so he just got hit by a rock and went blind yeah <laughs> yeah but that like really helped him out in the long run but we have to say do not try that in real life it won't work <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe if you got it the right rock. What is our what is the podcast called? To be determined. When it's uploaded to YouTube, it'll have a name. Yeah, exactly. Both Benny and Co. does not uh, condone slamming a rock against your head in order to go blind and become That's correct. No, no, sorry. Sorry. This only works. Okay, the rock against the head only works if you're in Antarctica. So go to Antarctica, then hit yourself with a this rock. This is the center of the Earth. Actually. Sorry, go to, go to Antarctica, find the hole that takes you to the center of the Earth, then hit your head with a rock. Okay. Well, and... Uh, we condone doing that. I think we're going to go with, like, Marvel Mayhem or something like that, because I always talked about Mayhem in Manhattan as stories and things, so I like Marvel Mayhem, but we'll see. So, uh, and we'll see if anybody tunes in and listens and watches or whatever, but we'll... Oh, cool. Don't worry, I'll spend three hundred dollars on uh, getting ads for us. Oh, that's a great idea. That'll so, work well. So, <laughs> back to our story. Um, I, I, yeah, I think he's an interesting character to 
to bring into this. I think his origin is interesting as well. I think that I think it's part of what Stanley does so well is he brings us people that already had problems and 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 this person had this problem that he just didn't fit into society and so then his way of dealing with it is to exile himself and then he becomes uh, the ruler of this underground um thing and he calls himself the mole man so it's i can't there's not too many villains that have such a deep resonant background as this and uh so i think that's that's great and it's got to be one of the you know it's a good sympathetic backstory quite honestly like within the canon you know maybe outside of the canon you're a little bit kind of like well i don't really are you sure that you were that ugly right with the canon you know like if you can't get hired somewhere Yes. Like that's if you're that's if you're bad. you know you're unable to gain employment, then that's that's definitely enough to you know push people to go to the center of the earth. Yes. And <laughs> something also about him that I'm interested to see as we get more and more first issues is yeah. seeing the villains from each of the first issues and how they are in later yes. of the series. Because Mole Man is a joke character in later Fantas- yes. he barely shows up when he is he's a joke. When if you look at the first X-Men, the first X-Men villain is Magneto, right? Right. Who is, you know, their villain right. for the rest of the time. It's so it'll be interesting to see how the first villain in each series sort of shakes out in right. the history of those characters. And you won't have to wait too long in this series, because of course Doctor Doom is probably definitely the biggest villain to come out of Fantastic Four. And I think he shows up within the first uh, first six issues somewhere in there. Um, so we'll, we'll have to see, but, uh, but yeah, he, and, and we'll see what happens with imagine, the man as he comes back. If he comes back, imagine and, how fantastic four comics would be different. If mole man was the main villain forever. <laughs> well, if you wrote him correctly, he could be a good main villain. I mean, anybody you write correctly could be something big. Also, I've never thought of him as being all that small of a, guy physical stature wise but when you look at this picture at the top of the screen here of of reed pulling him away he looks like a little kid so he's like three and a half feet tall at most yeah yeah in that picture anyway (laughs) i don't know if that's speaking of of that picture uh reed and susan yes was this sort of this wasn't a they went into this knowing that this wasn't going to be their costumes long run, right? I believe so, yeah. Because by issue two, they have their normal costumes. Correct. Right? Correct. All right. So I was wondering if maybe they made this, and then were they going, we can't have those be their outfits? Mm-hmm. Or if they went to this, like, you know, it's their first appearance. We want them to be the sort of every person heroes. We don't want them to start with superhero costumes already made. Correct. I think, I mean, I don't know why they did it. But I think it was a good choice. I mean, so often we get a hero and we get introduced to their costume and everything in that first issue. I think it's kind of refreshing to have them just kind of in work sort of clothes that they go and and do this first issue in and then later decide on what their costumes are going to be and so forth. Um, And and the MCU has been doing well with 
um, the first costumes being significantly worse. Yes. Uh, like with, uh, I mean, I was going to say both the Spider-Mans. So Spider-Man, uh, Tom Holland's Spider-Man, and then out of the MCU, but um, Miles Morales' Spider-Man, mm-hmm. where they both kind of, you know, Tom Holland's has just a hoodie and some goggles. Yeah. And then Miles Morales has, you know, the old Spider-Man's like costume costume, like like a children's costume. And then he ends right. up putting a hoodie over it and, you know, actually designing it himself. But it's not, you know, especially tailored spandex. <laughs> it's right. their own little personal thing. Why do superpowers always come with super tailoring skills? Yeah. Well, and the, the first... Um original um spider-man for the movies um though it wasn't like you say it wasn't mcu either toby um, mcguire's yeah yeah right they had toby mcguire his his first costume was very much a self-created one to be a wrestler in and that sort of thing and so it was a, a very homemade thing that eventually worked out the king so yeah i think i always think that's a, a great idea i don't think you're going to get everything right the first time and so I think uh, growing into it is a good idea. Um, I like the way that this introduces us to the characters, but then leaves some room for growth on their part. So, um, yeah, I thought it was a very, I can see how it could be a very effective first issue. So I liked it. Well, what, what about you guys? Did you generally like it? I guess we've talked a lot about positive. What, are there some negatives that go along the way? I mean, it wasn't the most sophisticated writing I've ever seen, but. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is just a thing with Stanley's writing, but uh, I think the overuse of, I don't know what I call them, the setting bubbles, the the yellow bubbles, basically. Yes. Bit, bit, bit on the wordy side on those. It's not nearly as bad as it was in the Groot comic, because that one wasn't written by Lee, but... Right. It's I still... Think, yeah. yeah. It's definitely one of those things where um, with the advent of... I mean, not just, not just, uh, you know, digital, um, digital art, but also just with the development of comics as a medium, they've gotten a lot, comic artists have gotten a lot better at being able to, to actually convey, you know, what is going on in their art and not just having to be like, okay, so we're in Manhattan and this is, you know, like they're going to draw the Empire State Building instead Mm -hmm. or they're going to, like, they're just getting a lot better at um, not needing the narration to set their their scene. Especially when it comes to uh, characters showing emotion. Yeah. They're much better at having just drawing the emotion instead of having to go Ooh, fear races across Mr. Fantastic's mind as he stares into the incomprehensible void of the mole man's nose. Yeah. (laughs) Part of that is Stan Lee, though, and just his style of writing was to be very verbose and descriptive. Um, But you're right. Later on, they they moved away from that. You don't even have the editorial captions uh in some comics at all anymore and it's just Mm -hmm. all word balloons and the drawings and then certainly there's been issues that have very few word balloons and it's mostly just the drawing that conveys everything um yeah Uh, i will say that the art in this 
was Jack Kirby, and Jack Kirby is considered one of the best action artists that there's ever been. And I still think he, the way he makes every scene feel like there's movement involved in it is pretty impressive. And I think he's great as the action scenes. I think it's the um, it's the setting the scene. I guess that's the biggest correct. thing. And that's where that's where Jack, I guess, where Kirby and Lee work so well together because Lee was like. Oh, don't worry. I would love to take over that job for you. <laughs> like, I will handle all that. You just handle the action. Yes. Because writing is what they is essentially that a lot of writers struggle with as well. Yeah. And and I think that that's just sort of the deal they, they, they more or less struck, and it worked for them. And certainly it worked for the audience at the time. Because um, if you look at other comics from the time, characters will just be standing a lot of the time and and it, they almost look like mannequins and then they have word balloons there where they're talking to each other but there's no feeling of motion and and it's difficult in a static picture to get feeling of motion going on and yet he can pull it off so that, uh, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Another, another complaint i remembered uh the two of us had was the scene or basically our problems with uh ben's personality in this specifically the part where they get their powers and then he goes to attack mr fantastic and says to susan i'll show you how a real man right uh does things and it was just a weird just such a toxic way for him to act and it's not an issue with the character as much as it's just interesting that like He's changed quite noticeably. Yeah, like I, I'm just, um, you know, I don't. I mean, I don't think you said this yet, but I don't know that much about comics. <laughs> so, like, coming from this as being like, oh yeah, I watched the Fantastic Four movie like ten years ago. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just thinking like, oh, was there like this weird like you know, almost, like, one-sided romantic subplot between, like, The Thing and uh, Susan Storm, but it's, like, it's very much um, just, they turned him into such, like, a, a sympathetic hero, where it's, like, oh, he's, like, he's, you know, this and that, uh, and, like, oh, feel bad for him because he looks like this, and, you know, uh, and they get into that a little bit where it's, like, He's literally, like, the thing, you know? Like, nobody, he's unable to, you know, live in human society without getting shot at. And, like, um, he can't even buy clothes that fit him besides, you know, that big old trench coat and then his, like, weird underwear thing. (laughs) But he's always just, he doesn't react to it as, like, woe is me, like, this sucks. He reacts to it like, this sucks, I'm mad about it. Right. Which is something that, like, I definitely, like, I kind of like the, um, I like the diversity and personality there with, um, you know, Reed Richards being the the mild-mannered scientist and then uh, this guy not just being a hothead, just being, like, kind of rude. (laughs) Like, he's rude. Like, he's, like rude to his his teammates he's just mean at at certain points and like they're still kind of just like yeah well you look like that so (laughs) right Uh, well i think stanley for whatever reason kind of wanted to show that 
both in, in the Groot story that we saw earlier and this story and in future things he did as well, that the smart guy can get the girl. The smart guy can solve things. The smart guy has things to offer to society that the strong guy doesn't have. And maybe they're more subtle things that you don't pick up on, but he's an important person. The newest target demographic. Yeah. Unfortunately, the part that Stan also gave us in this story two different ways. And I don't can't think of future stories that give us this necessarily, but I don't love it is the fact that, Oh, if you're ugly, you can't, you can't, you're never going to find a girl for you. You're not going to fit into society. You're going to have problems because both the mole man has that. And then when the thing turns into the thing and not bang grim anymore, all of a sudden he can't, Oh, you'll never be able to get a girl and you'll never, you're never going to fit into society. Yep. And, the, and he doubles down on it in future issues when Ben gets a girlfriend, but his girlfriend is blind because yep. I can't imagine him being with someone who could actually see and choose to see the heart of this man or his personality as winning them over and saying, okay, I can still be with this person. But to me, that takes away what about the people that are in wheelchairs or people that are quadriplegic or people that have other issues? Are they just never supposed to find love and never supposed to, uh, and they, and yet they often do. You see stories and of, of certainly they, they find someone who, who will love them even if they have some challenges and you don't have to give up on life just because you have some challenges. And, um, Unfortunately, that looks like that one challenge of, man, if you're ugly, you're done for, is kind of the message you get from this. And that's not the best message. It's definitely, like, dated in that sense, where um, I think it would be seen as a lot, le a lot more um, either unrealistic or just not politically correct in the sense of, like, there are so many people who have whatever, various disabilities, various, you know, like maybe they're just ugly. <laughs> yeah. But they still, it's not like, it's not like, it's literally not like that ruins your chances at life. Uh, you know, most of the time really doesn't ruin your chances of getting a job. Like right. that's, that was also one of the things where I was just like, like, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe a receptionist, but that's, that's a whole other issue there is, uh, you know, people hiring, you know, the pretty girl for the receptionist. But um, there's all these things where I think today it would be a lot more like, it would definitely be seen as uh, like the mole, as we said, like the mole man is definitely, we see it today as more of like an incel type, like you're just kind of making up this, this oppression you have because yes. you're ugly, where it's like, you're being bullied, sure, but you're not, you know, getting systemically oppressed to the point where you can't get a job. And right. that's the thing that I keep coming back to because it's the thing that's most like, what are you talking about, dude? Like go work in a warehouse. Like they're like, 
you know, like, however you feel about Amazon, Amazon's hiring and they'll take anyone, you know, like, <laughs> it's, very much, it's very much like, uh, you don't really understand what they're going at. There are plenty of jobs that, you know, they're not looking at your face and determining whether they want you to have you at the company and stuff. And then also just, it doesn't send a great message. And I think we think a lot more about the types of messages that we're sending our readers nowadays when it comes to uh, subtext where like, you know, it's not like Stan Lee set out to be like ugly people cannot exist right. in society. He set out to just be like, hey, this thing sucks. Like, oh, it looks like, it, you know, the mole man is still portrayed in a sympathetic light. The thing, yeah. you know, however rude he is, he's still portrayed in a sympathetic light. But at the same time, like when you're portraying a society that clearly is supposed to mirror our own and is also terrible, you're implying uh, something that's, you know, really not a good message. Yeah, agreed. Overgeneralizing. I think yeah. there are people that can see beyond those limitations and they're showing that no one can see beyond those limitations. Yeah. No one can see beyond those challenges. Um, and Unless I, they're blind, apparently. Yes, yes. <laughs> so that, that works. All right. Well, let's go through uh, the letters page. As Hunter was saying, some of the letters page um, uh, ties into some of the things we were thinking. So um, yes. I'm just going to go with the first one. It says... Uh, uh, and this, what, what I'm doing is I'm grabbing a, this letter page actually came out in issue number three of Fantastic Four, but it talks about issue number one. So I thought it'd be more interesting if we did the letters pages that yeah. could be, we can see the fan reaction yeah, to this, issue, to this yeah. at the time. Um, also, you're going to find that in some letter pages, there are future writers and all sorts of things that come up as people writing the letters. So uh, it's kind of fun to see where they started out. Anyway, this one says, the first one says, Dear Editor, I think the Fantastic Four will become a great success. The Thing and the Torch are very new and different. I would also like to know what the name of your artist is. And then he goes, and then when Stanley answers him, or whoever was set to answer him, I think it was Stanley at the time that was answering the letters. Um, he says, well, Jack Kirby signs everything all over the place. So his name is Jack Kirby, of course. Um, and then he also says, well, what do you think we are... Uh, chop liver because we're a success now or something and it's like well on your first issue you're probably not yet considered a success i wouldn't think it's it could go either way but the kid was right who wrote this in um that it would be a successful comic um hunter um when i when i read this and and he's saying that he that's about the thing in the torch do you think those were different characters than comics had seen up until that point probably well, hadn't we had the torch already he yeah. was in a couple stuff but i mean he was he was an android in those original ones but yes. so I, I don't know if you can call him a new character when he'd been in comics before i my implication my the way i read this isn't so much their power is interesting and it could be written that way i was thinking of the character i was thinking of mm, their attitudes and personality. he's a real hothead okay and, and they're heroes that aren't the Captain America, I do what's right, sort of right. hero. Because usually you end up with a whole team, essentially, of Captain Americas, uh, at least with his attitude. 
And so it's neat to have people that don't have that same attitude a little bit. And hi, Kat. <laughs> Alicia, were you struck at all by the attitude of the... Oh yeah, I mean that's what I was. That's what I was. A bit of what I was saying before is like, where when you see the very stark difference between um, the Groot issue and this issue, just between you know the hero not the heroes having personalities and not just kind of being like, I must defeat you, evil evil scum, and then you know. Like they've have like I, like I they stand said, for like, what's right and honest and true and that's who I yeah. am. Yeah, right. And like as much as I might not like uh, Ben Grimm if he was a real person, like right. I like that he has a bit of a personality. Um, like, so, you know what I dislike probably the most is Johnny Storm just for because he's that cool guy, hothead. I can I can. I don't have to treat people well or anything like that because I'm good looking and I've got a cool power and everyone's going to love me. Um, but I think that's an honest portrayal of the way some people might be with that. And I think it's interesting to show a different character with different facets. And then the fact that he's not completely that because he has a sister that he cares about. So they have some humanity shining through. They're not making characters that you cannot like but they are giving them some uh personality flaws that comics haven't previously given to characters and i think that's refreshing absolutely agreed all right well let's let's read on i'll I'll skip to uh where's the next one i wanted to read um you want to read the next one is that the next one we're looking at yeah it says Dear Editor, the best thing about this comic is the character conflicts. So already in issue one, people are seeing that there's character conflicts that they enjoy. Picking up on what's setting this apart from DC superheroes. Yep. I think it's great. It's nice to see a group of superheroes who aren't unnaturally buddy-buddy. The cover of number one is pretty poor, he says. It didn't stand out. I wish the name of Mr. Fantastic were different. It sounds too much like Mr. Clean. I love King. that. He yeah. is so... Rick Wood from Cambridge, Massachusetts. If you are out there, okay? If you're out there, you're my hero, okay? <laughs> you're the best person from this book. You're not, even, you're not even a character in the Fantastic Four, but you're the best part of the Fantastic Four. Rick Wood from Cambridge, Massachusetts. I love you. And I'm impressed that they would print a letter that's negative a lot of times mm-hmm. comics wouldn't every letter would be positive in fact a lot of times the editors would write their own letters because they weren't getting enough fan letters so they'd write some of their own things a thing they want to talk about like to- letters that would say when is so-and-so coming back and then they would say oh actually was like next issue you can see this character come back and obviously it was a letter that was written just so they could talk about the character in the next comic. But go also, ahead. he mentions how the cover doesn't stand out. And this is the downside to what we're talking about, how it's a monster cover, because that's what they're used to. Yes, It makes it where it just blends in with all the other monster, monster books. Covers. At a quick glance, you go, oh, big monster guy came on. It's not until you start analyzing it like we did, of looking at the people and their dialogues, you start noticing what makes it different from the other covers. When you start wondering... Uh, is letters like this what made them think, oh, maybe we should give them 
costumes because maybe they originally weren't going to give them costumes. I don't know. But uh, but giving them all a similar costume probably made it stand out more as well. So, yeah, I, I thought interesting. But for me, I thought the cover was a standout cover. In, I guess in more of the ground it covered, like we said, and not yeah. so much as, as the cover being... Ooh, the ah. art itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I don't think... I do I'll, want to talk about the character conflict thing. Um, because I think it's interesting how we're really trying to... Well, not we, but a lot of the uh, directors today when it comes to... Yes, Kat? When it comes to... Ahaha! Don't claw me! <laughs> when it comes to um, superhero movies is they want to try and emulate that. And a lot of the times it feels a little bit unnatural. Um, a lot of people disliked Civil War, um, Avengers, or not, no, it wasn't Avengers. It was Captain America Civil War um, because they felt like it was boring and it felt like kind of forced unnatural. I think that it was boring, <laughs> but it was not, <laughs> I don't think that it was forced. I think that there was, there's always been like a, with, you know, having Iron Man and Captain America, um, there's going to be, uh, you know, a scraping of personalities. Like the, when they, when they, you know, at their, at their heart and soul stand for different moral, moral uh, directions, of course, there's going to be right. differences. Um, and so I think that that was, a fine, it was okay, like rendition of, you know, the infighting of a superhero group. But yes. then you look at things like Batman versus Superman, um, or, you know, not to hate on Zack Snyder, but Zack Snyder films where they very clearly are trying to force a, um, a divide between the Justice League, where you really can't understand as much what he's trying to do, considering that Superman has always been the very, like, he's a stand-up guy because he's a stand-up guy. Uh, like, he's a stand-up guy because he wants to be a stand-up guy. He's the guy that will save a cat from a tree. He's yeah. the guy that will save a cat from the tree, you know, when no one's looking. Like, he's always been the good guy and trying to, you know, act like he would be, you know actively hostile or just you know not a good teammate is very much like he'd be the perfect teammate that's the whole point that's why that's why he's the leader is because he's a great teammate he gets along with everyone um and so in this one you see like the you can already see not the divide forming but just the the bickering between the fantastic four and you can see how like if they wanted to turn it into a division between the team you can understand why it's happening. Like you can understand like, oh, Johnny is too much of a hothead. Like um, there's issues, there might be like an intermarital, well, I guess it's interrelationship right now because they're not typically married between uh, Reed Richards and Susan Storm. Um, there could be that, ow, the cat is really just tearing up my back right now. Um, <laughs> Like the thing is, you know, just sick of the way he he's treated in comparison to the other heroes. Like you can see all this divide already that, you know, oh, it'd be interesting if they went into that. Whereas when you're looking at a Superman comic, you're really not thinking like it would be sick if he was mad at somebody that was on the side, wouldn't it? Right. right. <laughs> um, 
Whereas here, you're kind of like, you're really like the character conflicts are something that you could see be turned into an interesting uh, spinoff. And they, and they do play on that later on, for sure. Uh, I, I think your point about Civil War is interesting in that the, uh, essentially what you have is you have Captain America who's believes that the way you, all the choices you make, everything you do needs to be congruent and it needs to all be heading in the same direction of showing who you are as a person and what, and your beliefs. So the, the means justify the end in that, in that, in that, uh, it all, it all has to work together. Whereas Tony has always believed in shortcuts to get you where you need to go and the ends justify the means. And so you don't, as long as the end comes out and, and the good wins, that's fine. Um, and, and for a while you can think your morals and things can take a back seat. Well, that is not within Captain America's belief system. And so that's why those two can definitely be seen butting heads and it makes sense. Uh, as you say, really doesn't make sense with Batman and Superman butting heads all the time in that they both think that um, you need to do what's right and you need to, um, Batman might have a, a, be willing to treat villains worse than Superman's willing to treat his villains and, and uh, things, but that's, it's a very subtle difference compared to the differences that, that Iron Man and, and Captain America have. So, yep. and that's, and that's DC drew themselves into this whole box yep. 70 years ago, 80 years ago when they were creating these characters, but then all the characters were created that way. Whereas Stan Lee's all of Marvel comics, the benefit they have is that all their characters were made in the sixties when there was a little more nuance to to writing and things and there was back in the 30s and 40s so which think, is really um i don't know is it still called vertigo vertigo uh doesn't exist anymore okay what it, got, it, it got shut down last year but there's things like vertigo it's yes dc vertigo D adjacent but dc yeah. they replaced it with like dc black label is okay. their current black, offshoot yeah. Why, why those types of offshoots are the ones that are producing not like the heavy sellers, but the ones that like the people who do like them love them. Yes. The people who do like them are like, this is literally one of the best things that I've ever read. Uh, you know, it, when you're producing things like Sandman off of Vertigo, like mm -hmm. that has like legitimate nuance, like characters that are incredibly interesting and a lot of them. And, like, you have actual moral dilemmas and actual changes in morals throughout the story, or you're seeing flashbacks where you're seeing different morals and stuff like that, and actual self-reflection on the, on um, characters who, you know, it's very clear that they're saying, like, they weren't always good, where you really can't do that with, you know, the older Batman and Superman. You can't say that Superman was rude with a bully in high school. You know, that's just not, it doesn't fit into his character at all. Uh, like, if you wanted to, like, sure, you can try. But it's really hard to make people love Superman in the way that they do by trying to give him, by trying to make him 
you know, too nuanced, I suppose. Yeah, I agree. Well, let me uh, let me read one more letter. We won't go through all the letters, but we'll read this last one just because I think it's interesting. And that they would even publish it because it's such a negative letter, but uh, it just shows they're willing to publish anything. Um, it says, Dear Editor, just finished reading Fantastic Four and must admit to being disappointed. I expected better things from the from team of Lee Kirby. Uh, Jack is capable of better artwork. I thought the artwork is fine to me. Um, and the thing ought to revert to human form at will as his teammates do. I think he's completely wrong there because oh, I think gives that's the, what makes the, the thing interesting. interesting, different issue in that uh, if if you could turn even into an ugly monster that could do all kinds of powerful things and turn back at will, you wouldn't have that all the issues that he deals with the, the stuff that makes the thing. You know, I think would be really cool if Daredevil wasn't blind. I feel like that would really help improve the character. <laughs> no, remove remove anything that might make them interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, certainly it would it would be interesting to see what would happen, how the comics would, you know, because the What If series is coming up here soon for Disney Plus viewers, where you're going to see what happens with, with different things worked out differently. I think it'd be interesting if Human Torch could not turn off his power and he was just constantly on fire. What? How would he go about his life how would that be different and maybe the thing if the thing could change back at will um they're the only two i can think or if you made invisible girl i guess invisible all the time well, I, was, I was about to say like that is um it's not a big part of again the the manga anime my hero academia she's just a side character mm -hmm. but there is discussions around her character where it's like She's an incredibly peppy character, mm -hmm. and there's been discussions that's like, you ever think about how, you know, the whole reason that she might be so like, hey guys, pay attention to me, is because she's invisible, and mm -hmm. like, that's gotta be, whether it's, you know, the author being like, okay, how can I get this character in here, <laughs> because mm -hmm. again, she can't just be a background character in the same, in the way that everyone else is, uh, like, you've got to get a speech bubble in there so that people can be, oh yeah, okay, she's still here. Yeah. Um, where- do they draw the character that you're talking about, do they draw her like Sue Storm where you can no, see her? No, there's just nothing. Or is she just not there? Just, they just draw the clothes that she's wearing. Oh, okay. So hmm. th I don't think they ever talk about- Her superhero costume is just a pair of gloves. Okay. I was about to say that. Um, I don't know if they ever- confirm that she's fully naked because again she's a high school girl um but i just like to imagine that it's made of her hair or something mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that she's not fully naked all the time um, yeah, her, her hair's a little too so they could definitely cut that and then weave it into like a unitard you could so i would i would rather the, i'd rather imagine that they do that okay. but they draw her as just her clothes um, but knowing how he draws other characters she's probably nude <laughs> Well, we wanted to get into uh, yeah. manga and the sexualization of teenage girls. That's uh, Hold not, not yet in future when Marvel uh, is the first publisher to colorize a manga and distribute it in the United States. Then we can talk about it. Then we can get into that one. But 
um, like whether the author intended like, oh, we just got to like remind the audience that she's here or if it's an actual, you know, like this character would be, you know, like outward and peppy and like she wouldn't want to be invisible. Like imagine being invisible your whole life, like you'd want to be seen and like you wouldn't want people to forget you're there. So that's going to make you talkative. That's going to make you peppy. That's going to make you want to, you know, uh, maybe like wear certain clothes that feel out there like colorful and such so you know if sue storm couldn't turn it off like would her attitude be the same you know mild-mannered wife <laughs> as she is or would she be a lot more you know annoying for the 60s you know and i don't even know what a floppy reed richards who can't control his powers would look like yeah, exactly he's exactly. just a man with no bones i mean reed <laughs> essentially has his power on all the time because he can stretch and then assume shapes and then he just assumes his normal shape most of the time uh, i guess his power felt about it well, like he has to turn on his power the adaptation for him i guess you could do would be he can't like lift anything that's of any significant weight Without his arm just sort of bending. Yeah. Yeah. Well, except for that your problem there would be then as a character, he loses a lot of his ability in fights. He, he's always been one to grab things and throw things and slingshot things. And yeah. And that, none of that would really work. That's what I'm saying. I think that, but I think that would be like one of the only ways to have it be where he can't turn his powers off. Oh, no. Having someone in the Fantastic Four who isn't useful in battle, <laughs> if we do that. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Well, let me read the rest of the letter because the other part of it was interesting too, I thought. Then it says, uh, the thing I'll go back to is normal too. Okay. The story also suffers from creeping monsterism, to paraphrase Gene Shepard. Uh, I don't know how that's paraphrasing Gene Shepard, but I do know Gene Shepard is the writer and narrator of the Christmas story that folks might have watched, just so you know who we're talking about when he says Gene Shepard. Uh, Gene Shepard uh, had all kinds of radio shows and things that, that are wonderful. And you can listen to Gene Shepard's stuff if you go out to Internet Archive and look for Gene Shepard. He's, he's a great storyteller. Anyway, then it says, uh, uh, creepy monsterism that has dominated most, if not all, of your comics for some time. So that's the downside of using the, monster, the monsters that they've used in the past. I personally think it was worth doing that as a bridge uh, to between the two to say, yes, we're the company that's produced all the monster, giant creepy monsters that you're used to, but now we're doing a, a superhero book, and but we're going to have a creepy giant monster in it to please you guys and so you can connect the two together. Um, I think it's okay because I, the, this person could have had this argument about any of the other monster books that have been released recently, if DC, I mean, if Marvel had been releasing them for the past three years, I mean, those monster stories do get old. Uh, I would say this does not feature that monster very much other than on the cover and in just a few panels. It's not like it's the main character in the story whatsoever, so. Not even the main villain, technically, since we've got Mole Man. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's the hench creature or whatever. Yeah, it's his pet, so, yeah. Anyway, um, I think honestly, when I read that, you know, it really just sounds like someone who related a little too much to the thing 
like Ben, the yeah. character, and was like, hey, why'd you do my boy like that? <laughs> he me all the time. <laughs> could be, could be. I didn't even think about that. But uh, it's neat to, to read these letter pages. Another letter in here, I won't read it, but it, it talks about how Johnny Storm, the Invisible Torch, should get his own series. And whether they listen to that or not, whatever. But in, uh, I don't know, six months we'll find or something like that, Johnny will get his own series for a short period of time. It's like we were talking about earlier when they, when they have um, multiple characters in, in one comic. Um, Stan talks about all the different ones he's producing. At this point in time, besides Fantastic Four, he's writing and, and or editing Strange Tales, Tales to Astonish, Journey into Mystery, Tales of Suspense, and Amazing Adult Fantasy. And all of those are where they feature two or three stories within the same issue. So they're all eight pages long or something. So um, they need things to fill those out. And so then they would take a character like um, uh, Human Torch and give them their own little breakout stories that they would do. Uh, then they kind of pulled back from that which is too bad because in the 80s and 90s they go back to that with a limited series where you had four issues of well scarlet witch and vision for instance that uh, how they got um, their series basically uh, on tv was from the fact that they had a limited series that they made in comic books and uh, other than that those two characters would always just be in the avengers and so it let some characters breathe a little more when they could have their own series and they did that with a number of the x-men a number of the avengers things like that i wish they would have done that more in the in the 60s had more breakout uh, of the different characters that were in the group but they did it a little but not that much but anyway i i think that covers everything for this week but uh anything we didn't cover about fantastic four group that anyone wanted to bring up or are we good I just want to. I just want to note uh, this incredible, incredibly bold, <laughs> incredibly bold letter um, that says, "Dear editor, you've got a heck of a nerve making a doll like Susan Storm invisible." <laughs> to which the editor replied, "Listen, unsigned, with wolves like you around, she's better off that way." So I just like to think that un unsigned from Dallas, Texas. He was very pleased when the movie came out and they, yeah. <laughs> they made her <laughs> and they turned her into what she is in the dominant culture now. Yes. I would. I, yeah, I could agree with that. Uh, I left out that letter because of that. Cause I was like, okay, that's, <laughs> that's kind of dated and sexist, but Hey, you know, it's um, sexist, but it's, it's historical. <laughs> it is. It is. Historical and record at this point. Exactly. Exactly. And anytime on any of these letter pages, if there's one that I haven't read that you guys that spoke to you guys, make sure that you uh, yeah. share that one and share your insights. I think it's great. So, and I think those letter pages will give us a lot uh, of things to talk about besides just the issues. So it's kind of, kind of cool. So anyway, I hope people enjoyed this. Um, yeah. Next time we'll be back. We'll have fantastic Four issue number two, which came out the following month. Oh, by the way, this was November of 1961. And the next month or two months later, anyway, when the, when the next Fantastic Four issue came out, uh, then they had, I believe Ant-Man will give us our first appearance as well. And so we'll usually be covering two issues for the next few months. 
and then eventually it'll branch out to three and four as we add more comics as as Stan Lee and um, Jack uh, Kirby add more um, characters to the repertoire. But uh, I think it's I think it's amazing how these have spawned so many films now and people know the films but they don't know the comics and I might thought it might be fun to revisit these beginning stages of the comics that got us into these films so anyway thank you for joining me Alicia thank you Hunter for joining me uh, and if you guys want to read uh, Fantastic Four along with us we'll have uh, links in the comments to the most affordable way to get access to these yes I would not well, recommend some buying the affordable, some of them less affordable but it just depends on what you want because yeah Certainly, you, certain ones. If you want to read a first printing of Fantastic Four number one, that one will not be affordable for you. Yes, that will be very expensive. <laughs> also, if you want to buy the omnibus that has, I don't know, a hundred issues in it, it's going to be a little expensive too. But the price per issue is not too bad. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's there's lots of ways to get them. We'll, we'll we'll try and provide you a couple different ways of uh, accessing the books. Yes. And and digitally, if you want to watch them that way, I, I, Marvel I think, I Unlimited we'll be posting those for, and I think their Marvel charges ninety nine cents an issue or something, so that's not a bad way to do it either. So anyway, we'll post different ways, and yeah. you guys can get them any which way you wish, and we'll post the ones for next week as well, so you can hopefully read ahead and uh, yeah. as we spoil the issues as we're going through them, so you want to actually read them before we get to them, theoretically. <laughs> So uh, thank you for joining us, everybody. Thank you and, so much. Yeah. We'll see you all next time. Bye. All right.